Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. We're on. I haven't tested, haven't tested the mic, but I'm hoping it works because I definitely don't want to do this conversation twice. (laughs) No, we'll just, (laughs) if we have to do this again, we just won't. We just close the podcast up, which is over. (laughs) We just just Um, quit and we walk, we walk away. Quit. (laughs) That's it. There's been many times. Like, (laughs) there's been many times. Just licking my feet. Okay, relax. Yeah, she's, I don't know. Dogs are gross. Um, are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. This is Jill and Danny J. Um, and so we wanted to jump on, and we don't really have like a like a mapped out agenda. Not like we ever do. However, um, I suggested this episode to Danny today, um, and it is currently exactly two weeks from when Danny's mom passed away. And if you guys have been following the Best Life for any amount of time in these last six uh, or I guess ten months or so, you know that Danny's mom has been um, fighting a brain tumor, cancer, and. Uh, so if you have not, I think you guys follow us on social and you kind of know, but we wanted to talk about today what it is like to lose a parent. And I think that this is something that maybe a lot of people in our audience have unfortunately experienced. And I think most of us will experience if we haven't already. And I know that Danny is, you know, obviously still a little raw, a little tender. So I just kind of said, hey, let's jump on, let's turn the mic on. And I'll sort of just, you know, ask you some questions about the experience and sort of then I can obviously talk from the perspective of like, you know, trying to support a friend who's going through this, but um, do you want to kind of just catch everyone up on sort of the last few weeks and kind of how things went? I think we've been kind of looping the audience in anyway. So. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny kind of back to some of the things we talk about on the podcast is a lot of times I like to wait until we've gone through something and gotten the lessons and, it's interesting because I've been posting on social and I'm like, should I wait to post this? But I feel like there is some, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the right word is. Strength in kind of showing what the pain is in the moment, at least for this, it feels a little different than um, the loss going through divorce and, and trying to navigate that. I mean, loss is loss and things are similar in some ways and grief is similar in some ways, but very different in other ways. And, um, so I have been sharing a little bit more openly about what's been happening and how I've been feeling and it hasn't been easy. Um, but you know, a couple, uh, I guess it was maybe June summertime. We actually got the great news that my mom, I took her into her oncology appointment and, uh, they said her cancer was gone and they were going to stop doing her immunotherapy. The kind of cancer she had is melanoma and it doesn't respond to chemotherapy. So she was never doing chemo, but she was doing once a month immunotherapy treatment. So they said no more of those she's done. Um, she had a recurrent tumor in her brain after she had surgery in October. Um, she had a recurrent tumor back in February and she got radiation in March. And so we had been kind of waiting to see if it worked. And at the time, the radiologist literally said to me, his exact words were radiation on melanoma, sometimes like pissing in the wind. So he wasn't very optimistic about the treatment. However, um, there was only one tumor at the time. And he said, generally melanoma kind of splatters all over. So he was optimistic about the fact that there was only just this one stubborn spot. So we really had a lot of optimism that she was kind of amazingly healed and that she was going to make it. And, um, I remember (laughs) sending Jill screenshots back in November, October, November, after my mom had her surgery, basically showing that stage four melanoma, once it gets to the brain, the life, like your chances of surviving past one month is pretty much like, that's it. Like you'll be dead within 90 days, if not the first 30 days. So I was fully expecting her almost to pass away right after like in the fall, but when they removed the tumor, it was gone. We thought we kind of had a miracle and she was on her way back to getting better. And, you know, if anyone has ever lived with someone or even 
an elderly adult with dementia or Alzheimer's or just a brain injury, traumatic brain injury, there's a lot that there's a lot of things that the brain does. Obviously we know this, but my mom wasn't, was learning to write again and she was learning to do math again and certain things that that side of her brain was affected by. So she was really recovering and learning to do all those things. Again, we got the like a, okay, things were good. It looked like the brain tumor was shrieking cancer in her body was gone. And Jeff and I moved out. We were traveling again and Toward the end of July, my dad kept saying weird things like, your mom's acting weird. She's tired. She's giving up. And uh, I had let the caretaker go because my mom said she was good on her own. And uh, it was actually a week before Jill's birthday or so. I started going back over to the house and she, she was acting strange, you know, confused. She was lost. And I realized my dad was giving her the wrong medication. He had messed up he got his the thyroid medication mixed up with her steroid and the steroid was what was keeping her brain tumor or her brain swelling down. And the swelling was causing a lot of the weird confusion and stuff. So we thought we had that fixed, got her back on the steroids and long story short, we increased the steroids and she was still declining. And my dad and I was traveling, I was actually in Atlanta flying home. And I got a call while I was the doors were about to shut on the plane from the housekeeper. And they said, Hey, Danny, we just came home. Your mom is on the floor. Her feet are purple and she's shaking. And so I said, Oh my God, let me call my dad. Let's get her to the hospital. So he ran over to her and I was like, dad, I got to go. The plane's taking off. I can't talk to you for the next hour and a half. Um, anyway, I landed, got home. He said it was fine. Her feet are purple. Cause she wasn't moving around. She needs circulation, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. Next day, she ended up on the ground again and couldn't get up. He called me. I went over there with my boyfriend because we thought we'd all help pick her up off the ground. And she had gained a lot of weight from the steroids. She gained about 30, 40 pounds and um, she was super limp. She could talk, but she just wasn't moving. She was not getting up. And so I decided to call an ambulance and we found out the next day when she was in the hospital, we couldn't see her there because of new COVID resurgence that uh, the doctor nonchalantly was saying, blah, blah, blah. And the tumors, and we're like, wait, wait, what do you mean tumors? We only knew about one. And we we found out there was another tumor growing in other masts and it was causing so much pressure and swelling in her brain that um, the ICU doctor told us that basically, even with steroids, eventually that this was going to kill her. He said it was life-threatening. The swelling was going to push down on a part of her brain that would um, stop her heart from beating and stop her from breathing. So uh, she didn't want to do surgery again. She didn't want to be intubated. She didn't want CPR. So we decided to bring her home on hospice and kind of just let her finish. And I remember asking the doctor how long he thought she had. And he said, well, we don't really know. Could be hours could be days, could be three weeks. And I think my dad really hung on to that three weeks part. I kept hearing the hours. <laughs> um, it's interesting what people will kind of grab onto in these moments, but they gave her a ton of steroids at the hospital and some saline to shrink the brain. So we brought her home the next day and she was all there. In fact, she was being kind of a punk that day. We got hospice to bring a bed into the house. They told me not to move her. Um, but we actually got her up out of bed and got her a shower that day. And it was very difficult. We're like, okay, no more showers. But my grandma came over to say goodbye. And my nieces and nephews came over. And basically we were all telling people to come in the next two weeks to say goodbye to her. And unfortunately that was really the last day she was uh, aware. She had a really good day. She talked to everybody, saw the kids, said goodbye to her mom. And uh, the next day, which was Monday, she was a little bit aware. I went back over to see her and I remember leaving that day <laughs> and she was kind of, she was napping and um, I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to take off. She was kind of napping. So she opened her eyes. I go, do you need anything? Do you need a beer, cigarettes? And I said this because she doesn't smoke or drink and and she like is, was very Mormon and against that stuff. So I knew that would make her either laugh or roll her eyes, but she didn't even smile or anything. And then she just kind of mumbled like, 
And that was literally the last thing I ever heard her even kind of say. And so that Monday she became basically unconscious. She just slept. It didn't even really seem like unconscious. She just slept for a week. Um, and every single day I I told Jill, I was like, she's not going to make it till Thursday. There's no way she just isn't. And she did make it to Thursday. And in fact, Thursday, she started opening her eyes a little bit, which was bizarre. Um, but she didn't look like she had any awareness. And finally the last day, um, I knew it was the last day because her heart rate had spiked. It was at like 145 beats a minute all day, which is, I actually went jogging today and I stopped to check my heart rate. And that's about what it was like running. And she had had that heart rate all night long and all day. And her nurse came in and she had said, well, she can't keep it up this much. And I knew that. Um, And then it just, we were actually, we had this little finger monitor, the like pulse ox thing. And we were watching it and it literally went from 145 and this dropped to 60. So we knew it was getting closer. And we had my, called my dad and my brother, we were all around her. And honestly, it was a very, um, it was interesting. There's a lot of things and we could talk about this in a minute, but, um, we were all around her when she passed and, um, something I can't get out of my head but I was really grateful to be there and witness it. It's a weird kind of, there's like some beauty and in all of it, which is a kind of a weird thing to grasp. Um, But I think if you've been part of it, maybe you understand. And I don't know, I think you can under, people can understand that even if they haven't been part of it, but I've never seen somebody die before. So that was an experience. Uh, definitely never seen somebody die before that was so close to me. I've been to many funerals. I've seen dead bodies before. It was very, very different to be in the room and to be there at the end. It's a lot. It is. And I can't imagine what it was that week was like for you and for the family, you know, just like, honestly, like every day must've just felt like a week. And, you know, I know you had posted something on social media about the fact that you were kind of waiting and you had some people reach out and kind of give their experiences, which I think was probably helpful, even though there's no way to tell, right? You know, I know that the nurses were coming in every day and you were asking them, like, what should we be looking for? What, you know, and they didn't. And it's no one can really give you that answer. And it's hard because in that moment, you just want to make sure, especially like everyone goes to sleep at night, you want to make sure like, you're, you know, there and that she's not alone when she passes and that those kind of things. So what was kind of the feeling for you when you were like, okay, this is, you brought her home from the hospital and you, that moment where you're like, okay, this is definitely, this is going to be it. After having so many moments in the last nine months of like, this is it. And then realizing there's something really different about this time. This seems like it's sort of like, what was that feeling for you? Or how did that feel? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, early on, I thought this was it. And so I felt like I had grieved already and I'd processed a lot and cried a lot and had my anger and gone through so many things. And then she was okay. And then we thought she got COVID in December and I thought she was in the hospital, went through it again. And there was just so many times. So when we brought, when I called the ambulance and brought her to the hospital this time, I felt like this is just another thing. It's probably the medicine. We didn't, my dad didn't give her the steroids and it's just the swelling and that's all it's going to be. So it was actually this time more blindsiding. It, it almost shouldn't have been, but I felt like since I had already processed this so many times that it wasn't going to happen. And I was kind of like joking around with Jeff a lot. I'm like, this bitch is going to live forever. Like watch all this stuff happen and all this drama. And like now she's just going to have this miraculous healing and it's just going to be this funny story. So it was really shocking. And even when we brought her home and I had heard the doctor say that it was over the weekend. So my aunts and uncles were like, we'll get a second opinion. I'm like, cool. I will, but it's Sunday. Her oncologist and uh, radiation oncologist were both gone, called them on Monday, uh, couldn't get a hold of them. And then Tuesday, she was basically unconscious. She wasn't responsive. And so at that point I was like, I don't really think a second opinion is necessary at this point. The proof is what's happening right here. And it was really then that I was like, oh, this is for real. And 
it's, <laughs> it was really interesting because I did call you um, and reach out to you and your boyfriend because Keith just lost his mom. And so I was trying to find other people like, okay, she's asleep. How long is this going to be? You know, is it going to be one day? Is it going to be two days? You know, obviously nobody knows, but I just figured there's got to be a, like, she can't sleep like this for a month. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I was reaching out and again, like what you said, you don't want to sleep at night. So the first couple nights I just, I couldn't sleep. And then I got to where I was almost feeling uh, like I could just tell she was sleeping and nothing had changed so by the time this has gone on for three or four days. So I was going, well, I guess it's okay to go to sleep now. So I did finally start to sleep at night, but the first thing I just go in the morning and check on her and I just talk to her, you know, and the one thing the doctors and the nurses, the hospice nurses said is they can still hear you at the end, which was a bit upsetting because there was a lot of people coming in to see her and say goodbye, but a lot of conversations that I thought were inappropriate in front of her, like talking about her burial, talking about her service, and she wasn't dead yet. And so I was really struggling mm. with this, these conversations in front of her while she's literally in bed and she supposedly can hear and we're talking about her as if she's dead and she's still there. Mm. And so those mm -hmm. were some big big struggles I had. And I would try to get people to leave the room and have the conversations outside the room. But it, it I think felt the most real on that, the day that she mm -hmm. just stopped talking. And that was the day I went to go. I started to call about funerals and services. And because I thought we only had a day or two ended up being about a week after. Um, but it was really like that day where she just didn't wake up for a full 24 hours. And I was going, okay, this is, this is really for real now. You know, it's, we've talked about this in other episodes and, you know, and I don't know how comfortable you feel sharing this. I think when we talk about losing a parent or we think we talk about losing your, our mom, even we're like, we, there's this assumption that because you're a woman, you're really close with your mom and like, oh, we were really like, you know, how many people do we talk to who are like, my mom's my best friend. I talk to him every day. You know, I have a really great relationship with my mom. I don't talk to her every day, but like, I know for you, you guys had a number of years that you weren't close and, you know, you guys were fundamentally different, even personality wise. Um, I know that there was a lot of struggle on both sides to connect and, um, how does that change the, the feeling of losing somebody when you're like, yes, this is my mom, but we weren't really like that. We didn't have really had that like mother daughter bond that you kind of hear about. And maybe, and if that's not the case, you know, definitely would be interested in your take on that. And I know you guys have been, had been healing things the last couple of years, which I know you're grateful for, but did that play, what, did that make it feel different for you or? Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know any different because we haven't been, we, we weren't close. Um, and I think that's part of the, maybe the pain and the things that, that I've been going through the last 10 months is, when she first went to the hospital, I really, really struggled because we've just had a lot of things throughout the years. Uh, we didn't talk for a long time at our service. I even said, I said, we weren't, we weren't close. There were a couple of years we didn't talk. And then I was paralyzed and she had to take care of me and I was stuck with her and she was stuck with me and it was not a fun time. Um, I was, needing her and I didn't want to be needing her because I was super independent and she was unhappy with my my life choices and I was an adult and so I was allowed to do what I wanted and so there was a lot of friction and maybe maybe some of you guys can relate to this um but over the last five years was when things started to shift um it was really in 2016 my ex-husband and I moved in with my grandmother which is my mom's mom to be her caretaker. And it was that time where I really started to at least have some respect for my mom. Um, my grandmother needed to move into a new a home. She needed to be placed somewhere safe. She had dementia. And 
I would see my mom do things for her. My grandmother was just treating everybody like crap. I mean, that's what dementia does. And she was screaming and she was being abusive to my mother. And my mom was just like, my mom was feeling so guilty about putting her in a home. She's like, I'll just take care of, I'll just bring her home. And I was going, mom, you can't, you can't do that. No one could take care of her and you will, you will ruin your own life taking care of your mother. And I just remember being partially going, what the hell is wrong with her? Why would she do that? I would never do that. And just seeing how much she sacrificed and what she did for her mom and seeing how much my grandma is taking care of now was because my mom did so much to make sure that happened. She went to court and fought for her. She found the best home. I remember her and I went touring um, like assisted living places and my mom was crying. She was like, I can't believe I'm going to do this to my own mother. And I'm like, mom it's fine. Like just do it. And I think just me being removed and being the granddaughter versus the daughter gave me a different perspective. And so during that time I ended up going through my divorce and my mom, one of the issues we had was, uh, I think we always had was I felt very judged by her and I wasn't the daughter she wanted. And I wasn't living the life that she really wanted. Like she very much wanted me to be successful and and make money and of course be happy. But I almost wanted to say success was probably something that was more important to her um, because she didn't, she struggled a lot with money and she struggled a lot taking care of us. And so I don't think she ever wanted me to struggle that way. And so for me, she wanted me to be a doctor. She's like, you're smart and you could do this. And I'm sure a lot of us listening to parents wanted us to be something that we weren't. And so I always felt this disconnect, like she wanted me to be something else and I was something different and she didn't like who I was. And so that always felt to me like she fundamentally just didn't like me. And she says, that's not true. And she said, that's not true, but that's how it felt. And so, um, watching her take care of my grandmother and then going through my divorce, I was feeling very much like she's going to judge me. She doesn't believe in divorce. And, um, she really supported me through my breakup with my ex. And I was really shocked when I was, I remember being scared to tell my parents that I was finally going to do the divorce because they were supporting me and trying to stay together. And she just, she was just, she took it really well and she was really understanding. And I think not only understanding from a place of um, just like, I get what you're going through, but like she divorced my dad. And I think she came from a place of truly uh, having empathy of going through it. And so it was from the divorce of my grandma that I think we started to have a mutual respect for each other, where she was having more respect for me and my lifestyle choices. And I had more respect for her for supporting my grandmother the way she did and supporting me for through my divorce. And so we still would talk off and on, you know, still not close, but when she had the brain tumor, it was almost like, and I could see how she felt now about her own mom. It was almost like, I felt like I had to step in and do it. You know, I would, I quit working the rest of 2020. I moved in to help. I felt like no one else was going to do it if I didn't do it. And I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm not giving myself like kudos, but I really don't know how she would have survived if I hadn't stepped in. And it felt like the right thing to do, but I didn't feel obligated to do it. And to be honest, like looking back, it was an honor to be able to, because <laughs> and I thought that she was dying so many times. I started to ask her all the questions and things that I really needed to know the answer to. <laughs> so I took it as an opportunity to really just try to get to know why she did certain things and why she treated me certain ways and why things happened when I was growing up. And so for me, it was a good time of healing. It was 10 months of really being able to get some answers that I needed and to look at her in a different way with compassion versus judgment where I always felt so judged growing up, I can see why she treated me the way she did, why she judged me the way she did. I could see through her worldview and lens where she was coming from. And so it was the first time in my life where I, and I don't want to say pitied her, but I had a lot of compassion for her and what she went through in her life and the reasons why she 
judged me so harshly and was so hard on me. And I really don't think that she did dislike me. I think she was actually very proud of me and something I found after she, she passed was <laughs> I had her phone and I was going through her Facebook and she could not use the phone at the end. Like she called me one day. I don't know how, but she was trying, like she could use Siri <laughs> but because of her brain tumor. She'd get confused. Sometimes her sister's name is Robin. I remember Jeff and I were sitting there and we heard her yelling at the phone. She's like, Hey, Robin, call Siri. <laughs> Hey Robin, <laughs> call Siri. And we were just like, oh my God, she doesn't, she's getting it wrong. She's getting it backwards. So she really couldn't use the phone and she definitely couldn't text with her thumbs and fingers. She couldn't type or anything. But I found her phone and my TED Talk came out at like June 10th or 11th. So this was, she just died in August. So this was shortly in June when her brain was being weird again. Somehow, I don't know how she DM'd like 20 people, my Ted talk. And it just shows me that she, she, <laughs> she really was proud of me. She was scared of me saying things about her. <laughs> she never wanted to look like the bad mother. And, uh, she hated when I like did a podcast, the adoption podcast, she was really upset about me saying things about her, but, um, you know, ultimately she was she was proud. I think she just really wanted a different life for me than she had for herself. And that I can't blame her for that. You know, she did the best she could, but I think that's all. I think so many of our, I think that's what our parents want for us. And it just the, sometimes the way they get it across isn't always clear, you know, or it doesn't make sense, especially when you're 16 or you're 21 or you're 25, you know, you just hear that you're not good enough. You mm -hmm. hear that you're not doing the right things. You hear that you're not, you know, um, living up to the expectation they have for you, you know? And one of the things I asked you, and I actually asked Keith as well, is, is there anything that you haven't said to her? And I think as a, as someone in who has literally had my best friend and my boyfriend both lose their moms in the last four months, it's been a huge wake up call to me to have some of these conversations with my own parents, because I think we only know our parents as who they were when we were 15. You know, I think that's kind of, they like remain in our brain and, and as much as we feel like we remain 15 to them too, right? Like on both sides. And now 25 years later, you're going like, I can really understand, like we need to have a conversation of who you were at 35, who you were at 40, who were you at 45 and how were you making the decisions at 40, you know, that I only saw when I was 15, that seemed like bullshit at the time, but there might've been a reason and, and almost, you know, cause we talked about this before, like our parents' generation didn't always have the tools to communicate honestly and vulnerably oftentimes because they didn't know why they made decisions, right? They just reacted or they just, you know, they felt threatened or they wanted something and they were insecure about something or they were embarrassed or whatever. And they made those decisions and like almost, I don't say forcing, but like asking clarifying questions and asking those questions to be like, why did you, why did you do that? Or like, yeah, I'm interested in that. How did that make you feel? Like, I'm sure no one's like asked them that. So I'm, love to hear that you had some real healing moments with your mom over the last 10 months as like bittersweet as it was. Do you feel like there was anything kind of left unsaid between you two? No, you know, it was <laughs> toward the end. There was still like a couple more things I wanted to ask her and I was scared to, um, I was scared of the answer, but I did, I did ask her and she the things I asked her, she said she didn't remember. And I still don't know if that's true or if she's just keeping some secrets to the death, but I asked everything I wanted to ask and I got as much answers as I could. And so the one gift I could say of all of this is that I had this amount of time, you know, we had Christina Rasmussen on, and I remember asking, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if I asked, I know we talked about it, but like, what's worse if you lose someone suddenly, or if you know that it's coming. And in a lot of ways, I feel grateful that we knew that it was coming so that I could have these conversations and so that we can, you know, 
get some of these things out. On the other hand, then like at the end, we were literally just waiting like the last week, just going, she's going to die any day. We're just like basically waiting for her to die. And it's an agonizing, a horrible wait. Um, there were so many times where literally, you know, in the, the little handbook they give you from hospice talks about the stages and what to look for and things that you'll start to see. And it says there's like a cycle, there's a physical dying, your body just heart stops beating and everything, but then there's the psychological and that some people will hang on and they need permission to let go. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my grandmother, one of my, my dad's mom passed away. Um, it was like, she was waiting until all of her kids were there. And then finally my uncle arrived and he said, mom, it's okay. You can go. And she passed away within moments. So I think I thought that would happen, but we told my mom, she could go many, many times. <laughs> and even the last hour, and it was almost like she, and, and I just, I wonder, well, you kept, like, kept, you kept texting me and you're like, I don't know why she's hanging on. Like I'm yeah. trying to figure out what she's waiting for. Yeah. And I had even the hospice nurse, I said something about my brother coming and she goes, Oh, she seems to be waiting for somebody. And I was like, well, he's just coming this afternoon. Like she saw him already. And so I don't know if there was something she still wanted to say, and then she couldn't, or she was waiting for something or just her body just wouldn't give up. I don't know because she couldn't talk, but it was very, it was very intense. It was like, she just wasn't, she wasn't letting go. And it was interesting because actually prior to this, like maybe a couple months ago and many times throughout this cancer journey, she would keep saying, she's like, look, I, if, if this comes back, I'm not going to fight it. Like I want to go. And even it was a few weeks before she went back, she was saying to me something like, I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, mom, you're not dying though. Like, stop saying that, which maybe she knew, maybe she knew something was happening already. And she was feeling that something was changing in her head, but she kept saying things like that. And I was like, no, you're fine. Like, you're not ready to go. You're not dying. You're going to be here a long time. You better figure out what to do. So it was interesting at the end because I felt so much that she was ready to go, that she would just go. And then she just seemed to be hanging on. And I don't know, like it's, it's definitely made me think a lot about spirituality difference, made me think, you know, of course, religion being brought into it, my, my family is very religious. And so it was hard for me to be around some of these conversations of things that I don't necessarily believe and people talking about where her spirit is or what she's doing. And sometimes <laughs> grief is interesting. Um, I never realized like that there's like, they say the five stages of grief and one of them is anger and I had a lot of anger for a couple of days, maybe the second day after. And a lot of it was directed towards just that I was pushing it toward the church and people in my family. And obviously I was just mad at the whole situation. But I think if we're talking just about in general, saying the right things and saying the wrong things to people, I think we have to be really careful about imposing our beliefs on what we think happens to people after they die onto that person who is close. Um, because saying things like she's around you all the time, or she's mm -hmm. watching you, I just mm -hmm. felt so disconnected. I'm like, I don't feel her right now. She's not here. Don't tell me she's here. Like just hearing that would make like, me she's so in a better place. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I mean, I think people have their own way that they make sense of death, you know, but I agree with you. I think like pushing it or like, and it's just, it's, I think it's hard for people because they just think that's the truth, right? If you really have a deeply religious belief, you literally think that's the truth. And so you think that everyone else, if they don't believe that they should believe that. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that is a great question is, and it's funny because I was actually, um, I did a photo shoot today with Vio who, you know, and we have shot with, and she said, um, how's Danny doing? And she said, I reached out to, you know, send my condolences. She goes, but I, I didn't know if I said enough. I didn't know if I said the right thing. And I just kind of said, you know, I think, I think, you know, Danny's probably like emotionally exhausted. So I don't know if she responded or not. I was like, but I'm sure she appreciated it. And I don't think you can say like, can you say the wrong thing, you know, or is it worse to not say anything? Like, have you had people that you thought would reach out who haven't reached out? Like what is, I think that's a big question is, yeah. um, and I don't even know that I really know. I just wanted to support you in whatever I could and Keith as well, but it's whatever you need. If you needed to like shit talk, you need to vent, you need to cry, you need to fucking, you know, me to shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I just feel like I intuitively picked up on cause I know you so well, but 
it, what are the kind of, I don't say do's and don'ts, but like, what are some of the things that were, that are, were received well versus maybe not? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> there are things to not say. I would say that some of my family members did, like I just heard one of my aunts was like, well, now that Shelly's dead, you could sell the house and give me some of the money. Like, don't say that kind of shit. Like if you talk about like someone's dead and like how you want their stuff right away, just inconsiderate and fucked up. And those kind of things were the things that I'm like, really? Now's not the time. Like, just stop. And you were actually in the room too. So yeah. Jill, Jill actually came, she drove down to Vegas and she got, you got to the house about 30 minutes after my mom passed. And one of my mom's sisters came and was just being really irreverent, I guess would be the word, like just trying to get ice and being loud while it's just a very weird thing. It was like, I think sometimes people don't know how to act or behave in a really uncomfortable situation. So like they'll right. talk to, to, so it's like small talk. It's like a little chit chat. It's a little like logistical yeah. stuff. And it's like, it's fine to just be like, and we talked about this a lot after the fact, I think that maybe that generation doesn't always, they don't feel comfortable with emotion. They don't yeah. feel comfortable with discomfort and no one really loves discomfort, but you just go, wow, like this is someone who's really important. They just passed away. It is totally okay to just stand in silence, sit in silence in reverence of this person's life. It's okay. We don't need to like fill it with like silence is okay. That was really interesting to me is having that experience for you. And then like, and being there actually, and like seeing it as well. Um, it was so like, cause to me, it would just be, it would be the natural thing to just be like, it's okay to be quiet. Like, it's okay to like hug, like it's okay to, and it would just very much like filling space with chit chat and logistical stuff. And like, like immediately, like right after she passed away. And that was a little bit odd to me. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, yeah, that generation just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know if it's everyone in that generation, but I also think it's just, they haven't had the experience of it. I was just like, it's okay to just be quiet. Yeah. I was writing a post today that I haven't put up yet. Cause I feel like I need to word it better, but there's something to be said about being able to sit with someone in their pain and not fix it and not try to say it's okay. And mm -hmm. like, and not try to make someone stop crying or go like, it's okay. It's going to be all right. She's fine. Like, you don't have to say anything because sometimes it's like, it's not okay. And it's okay that it's not okay. Like it, it is what it is. Um, there's just something to be said about just squeezing someone's hand, giving them a hug, not saying any words and just like going, Hey, I'm here. And you don't have to say it's okay. You don't have to say, don't cry. Like that was an interesting thing. One of my cousins was just like, no, no, it's okay. Don't cry. like, she was trying to get me to stop crying. And I was like, let me cry. It's fine. It's, and it's not okay. And wasn't your dad at one point even saying like, I'm trying not to cry or something yeah. like that. And it's like, if there's any time it's okay to cry, <laughs> yeah. it would be now. Totally. And it's, so I'd say, you know, there are some things that I would not say, like, I just wouldn't be just don't be weird. But I understand that sometimes it's people just get awkward and it's fine. Um, but as far as people like not reaching out, to be honest, I was so overwhelmed with messages and things. If somebody didn't, I don't know. There's even people who did reach out. There's people who were at the service. I don't even remember. I was talking to you before we started recording in this last week. It's been really interesting to see what grief can do to your brain. Um, like my time, I wrote a, uh, a post about like time warp and just feeling like this last week has felt like a month and a half and literally not knowing what day of the week it is, what I've done, what I did the day before I start, I started freaking out about three days after my mom died because I couldn't remember what I had done in between or who was there or what we were doing. And actually Jill, you drove out and then you drove back and then you flew in but I couldn't remember how I was confused about like how you got back. And then I forgot that you had driven. So there was all these pieces of the week I was trying to put together and I was freaking out about it. I was like, oh my gosh, my memory is gone. I got like, I have dementia all of a sudden, <laughs> but it was a really weird feeling to literally not remember what happened a couple days before and not remember who was at the service or where I was sitting or where my dad was sitting. I had to ask Jeff, where was my dad? And 
I don't remember what my brother said. I don't remember. There's a lot of things I don't remember. And sometimes I'll just be sitting there and then a piece will come back and I'm like, oh my God, I remember that part now. And then I'll start crying or just little bits will come back. But as far as uh, people not saying something, to be honest, it's been more overwhelming with people saying mm-hmm. something. And I, I appreciate it. I realized I couldn't respond back to everyone. And I just, I hope that people don't expect that. And I would say, if you are trying to be there for a friend is don't expect them to reply and don't even like I'd get texts from people saying, how are you doing? And I'm like, I can't eat. That's such a loaded question. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. even say, how am I doing? Or I can answer you or I can answer like some close friends, but like some random person who's checking in on me. I'm like, I can't, rip, I can't reply. Yeah. To you. I remember even like the week that she was, she was sleeping the whole week. Like I would I'd wake up and immediately text you and be like, Hey, how's it going? How's mama? Like, just like, how was last night? Like whatever. And I would even just be like, if you're exhausted and can't deal with this text right now, no pressure. Just want you to know I'm here. Like literally like yeah. I'm okay. If, Cause I just, I know it's a lot. I mean, not even, it's a lot of messages. It's just literally a lot. I'm sure it's just like so emotionally draining that, yeah. I mean, I feel like that at times and I wasn't even going through something like this. Sometimes work and stuff, I'm just like, I literally can't even like look at that, my DMs right now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I think, and I think if you don't, if you've never had that experience, then maybe you don't understand that a lot. So I, I think this is a really good sort of like tip for the listener to just be like, don't expect a response. If you get one, great. And especially if you're not super close to the person, because you haven't, and this was actually really interesting to me too, is, you know, having been privy to the last 10 months and like what was the ups and downs. And like, you've shared a lot of that with me to know that even some of your family members, like, didn't know, you know, like they were like shocked that like, you know, she passed and it all happened so fast. And meanwhile, I was like, no, it didn't really happen. I mean, like, yeah, like the last couple of weeks did, but it wasn't really yeah. like this all of a sudden thing. It was just like, it had been up and down for 10 months. So, you know, I think if you're someone who's not close, sometimes asking someone for like a complete rundown, it's just like, whole, like mm-hmm. not the time, you know, like listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. You'll, you'll yeah. like tell like, you know, it's like, we need to do the one to many story, you know, like listen to the podcast. And it's funny, even as we're like recording this, I love that we're recording this. I love that we're recording it two weeks after. And I know it's so hard for you to like, like relive and retell the story again, but I just, I love that we're going to have this, like that we're going to be able to like, listen back to this in a year, listen back to this in, you know, five, 10 years. Like this is, you know, cause things fade and, you know, your memory fades. And that's one of the things that I think is really neat about this age is that we have, I mean, you and Jeff have so many videos of your mom. You have so many, you know, messages from her and like, it can be a little bit of a mind fuck, you know, you're like, wow, she was just here in this video last week and and talking and now she's not like that's, but I don't know. I think it's, I think it's good that we have all of those memories yeah. in, in a capsule, you know, c- contained somewhere. Me too. I think um, the one thing back to like, when you asked if there was anything left to ask or questions like as far as if there were any regrets I wish I had taken more videos because there were so many times where and you know I do I love doing my Instagram stories and there were so many times I wanted to do stories but she was very self-conscious and she's like I don't want to be on video so I was trying to really be mindful of her not being on video I wish I just took them for me not for stories but I just wish I took more and I'm glad that Jeff grabbed a couple because there were just some ridiculous times some very hard ones I mean he got some videos of when she was really crying and and upset but it was also good to see those because it reminded me that she like the logical part of me knows she's better off not living that way you know the last month she just wasn't to have to live with traumatic brain injury to live in a way that you can't take care of yourself that you can't remember your sentences that you can't go to the bathroom like that's it's a sucky way to live and so when I look back at that and I remember those things, I'm happy that she isn't suffering and she didn't have to live that way. Mm-hmm. The part of me that's upset is like, why did this fucking happen at all? And that's one mm-hmm. of those questions that sometimes we never get the answer to. Um, but I think in the future, I'm going to look back and just be grateful that, that it did happen. And it gave me the chance to do a lot of healing and face a lot of fears and questions and, and face a lot of things in myself, you know, there's the fact that I, 
I'm proud of what I did. I'm really proud of who I was for her, especially because we weren't close. Um, I feel like I was being the daughter she wanted me to be, who she knew that I was. And she's the kind of person who would sacrifice for her own mother. <laughs> and, um, and I remember thinking many times, if I ever went through something like this, I wish I had someone like me taking care of me. And so she gave me the gift to be able to do that for her. And I learned a lot in the process, learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about compassion and what matters and sacrifice. What does that really look like? And God, I'm not a parent, but now I really have a different perspective on the sacrifice of parents and what they do for their kids. <laughs> Cause I felt like a fucking parent for 10 months. And, um, I am grateful for the videos, for the pictures, for all of that stuff. And for this conversation here. And I think too, um, it gave me a lot of perspective. I've, I've had, you know, you and I, we've had Sierra Nielsen on the podcast. Her mother passed away of cancer a few years back. And I actually reached out to her a couple of times. Um, and I was like, how did you do this? You know, there's people that have gone through it before me and we can so casually like divorce. We so casually talk about divorce. We so casually talk about a parent passing away, but the reality of it is it's a it affects you in a very deep, profound way. Cause this is the person who's literally known you your entire life. The one or two people, <laughs> if you have both uh, parents, but these are the people who've known you your entire life. And so it, it hits different and um, going through it and seeing how people responded gives me more empathy and gives me a different idea of how I wanna be when my friends go through this or people around me lose their parents or lose a family member. Now I know that the, the kind of things that I would do different that I didn't do in the past, like the kind of messages, maybe like not messaging, or I probably wouldn't, to be honest, I probably won't send flowers <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> those were, uh, those were really hard for me, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I learned through this and definitely compassion and empathy. Yeah. Really changed me. Yeah. And it's one, I just think it's something you can never be ready for, you know, even though like intellectually we know we're like, I mean, your mom was relatively young too, 62 years old, like, and there's a lot of um, injustice, a lot of feelings of unfairness, you know, cause I think we just always think, well, like, they're AD, like they're getting up there. Right. Like, and even, even still, right. Even if they're like, quote, at the age that they're like supposed to pass or it's more like normal, it's still, I'm sure not. <laughs> I don't think you can ever be ready for it. You know, as much as you can sit here and like, listen to this account and, you know, even me being privy to like, you know, two people super close to me going through this. I don't know that you ever, it's like, you can, you know, logistically what happens, but I think emotionally you can never be prepared, you know? Yeah. It, and it, intellectually and, you know, hearing and thinking about it, thinking about my parents dying, it's like, yeah, that will happen. And you kind of just like, it's going to be in the future, but the actuality and the finality, um, even like, I thought this was going to happen so many times, but the final, final part and the part that like was where it just really hit me was when they finally came in to take her body. And, um, I think you had just barely left. And, um, they came in. And so I went to just like, see her one more time. We actually dressed her and I like put a little bit of makeup on her face. I think she would have she looked really that. pretty. Yeah. She's really pretty. <laughs> um, but they came in and they, we, I helped lift her onto the bed and then they put, it's so hard for me to say, I don't know why but they covered her face in plastic. And obviously <laughs> I just remember when I was little, she'd freak out. She's like, don't put plastic on your face. You'll suffocate. <laughs> And my immediate thought was like, oh my God, she's going to suffocate. She can't breathe. And of course she wasn't even breathing. She was already passed. But that moment of just covering her face in the plastic and then wheeling her out was one of the hardest. Cause it was like, that's it. She's not in the house anymore. 
no, I'm not going to see her again. We didn't have an open casket. And that, I guess, like, even just having her body there still had some comfort for however long it was. I don't know, a couple hours, maybe she was still there. But the final, final was one of the hardest. Like, I really, really lost it. I really lost it. And it's interesting what your brain does and makes up. Like, just the thought that she can't breathe was very silly but it was so real and so like panicked when they did it. Um, but yeah, there's and just- it's so final, you know, I mean, I know that you, we've kind of talked about this and Keith and I've talked about it too, you know, like you're never going to walk into your parents' house and she's going to be there. Right. Like you, you had said to me last week that you were at the store and you saw this woman who was around your mom's age, didn't really look like her or anything, but you know, you're just like, I'm never going to see my mom, like standing in a line at a store again. I'm never going to see her, you know, washing dishes. I'm not going to see her, you know, like coming to my room and like, yeah, I, I don't, I can't imagine what that's like of just like never seeing them in just a day-to-day capacity, you know? So it is a reminder to sort of not take those. And, and I th- get thinking about obviously, and I think if anyone's listening to this, you're probably extrapolating too and going like, gosh, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't talk like for me, I'm just like, I don't see my parents enough. You know, if I'm like, damn, they're going to be 70 this year. If I see them once or twice a year, that means maybe I have a couple dozen times left to even see them. They live on the other side of the country, you know, and it's just a reminder to just really fucking be present and be grateful for just the, the normalcy, right? Like just literally the small day-to-day things that they do. And I don't know. And to be present to that and to also have the deeper conversations. I know it's scary with your parents to do that. And I've been lucky enough to start doing that with my parents over the last like 10, 15 years, but it's like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like you ask them something you want to know, you, you know, confront them about something that you have confusion over. And I think most of us do have those things that we just always assume about our parents and the worst that can happen is what they get upset. Okay. You can deal with that. Right. Like it doesn't feel good, but like you can deal with it. You're a grown ass adult. They are too. Like, you know, they get mad, they get whatever, but it's like, what else are you going to do? You're not going to bring it up when you know that the time is finite. Yeah. And you can, we've done a million episodes on how to have a comfortable conversation in a tactful way. Um, You can handle it you know, and I just really, for me, it's just, it was just really a gift to not only know your mom and, you know, experience her, but just to see you in these last 10 months and, you know, taking your level of strength to the next level. It's just like your friend's pain is your pain, you know? you're definitely an example of that I mean y'all we're both sitting here crying you can't see us but like I don't even know actually how you came that day I don't know if Jeff was texting you or what but like you just showed up that, that day on time and we're just there and then flew in the day of her service and sat with me. Actually, one of my cousins message, or maybe she posted it. She posted a comment or something, but she just said it was really so cool to see you and Jill, you know, sitting by each other. And, and she goes, I'm not surprised, but it's really cool to see that friendship. And I think we do have something really special and I felt so supported and, you know, one of the memories I do remember really well was <laughs> we were both standing over by the wall in my living room while my dad and grandma were by my mm-hmm. mom's body. My aunt was being such a lunatic. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> but just that you were just standing there with me and just like we were silent and having our own reverence and moment and respect and it's nice to have somebody who gets it and (laughs) didn't add to the chaos that didn't need to be you know and Mm -hmm. that we could have conversations afterward and that I could just feel supported 
Yeah. I think it, I think it is important to have people who you trust to, to fall apart around. You know what I mean? I know Jeff has been like that for you too. And like, because those are your people, right? Like your, your aunts and your cousins, whatever, like, yes, they're your family, but they're not your people. Like that's, that's, there's a difference, you know? Yeah. And then especially when you're like losing one of your people, you know, it's just like, you need to have people around you that you don't don't feel judged. You don't feel like you have to be anyone you're not. You literally don't, you know, feel like you have to like entertain someone, like all those things, you know? And I think we talk about it a lot. Obviously this is called the best life podcast. We talk a lot about just like friendship and relationships and things like that. And like, I think for me, and we've talked about this before, I think at this age, um, I'm unwilling to give my time to friendships that aren't deep, you know, in that way, like, sure. I'll, you know, talk to you acquaintance, whatever we'll get together we'll have coffee. But when it comes to like real life stuff, you know, like, and you and I have gone through a lot of these things, um, you know, last summer I was going through something really hard and like, you were, you were like literally going somewhere else and you fucking turned your car around and you came, you know, you came to see me and spent some days with me. So, you know, just like you, I don't even call it inconvenience because you don't want to do anything else, but that's what you do for someone you love. And I don't know, like that level of friendship and I don't like intimacy, not obviously like real, you know, romantic intimacy, but that level of intimacy is so, um, it's so powerful. You can't give it to a hundred people, you know? So you have to discern who gets that spot. I think we only have a couple of them, to be honest. Like, I think like I'm, I'd be lucky to have like five, you know, like really just, I mean, call it ride or die or whatever that you can just call and just fucking be yourself. If you're embarrassed or you're ashamed or you're angry, like, you know, a couple of times you were like, I'm just enraged, <laughs> you know, and it's like, just be your fucking self, you know, no, no judgment. There's, you know, and I think that's really rare. I think a lot of people feel judged by their friends, family, especially going through something like divorce or whatever, you know? So I know we've talked about that a lot. Um, but I feel like it has been an honor for me to have a front row seat to just this entire experience. Um, and I feel so honored that you shared it with me. And I think a lot of people wouldn't because they don't want to burden someone or they don't want to fall apart in front of someone, or they don't want to be, you know, like, or they're, I don't know, they're just embarrassed or scared of feeling judged. And so I, I don't take that for granted. And I know, and honestly, Jeff fucking held it down. That dude went like up to the top of my list of respected people <laughs> as a result of this too. So it was, well, I, I appreciate so much because I know, you know, like, and speaking of Jeff too, I know this has been so much, it's been so heavy. It's been so time consuming and like cutting into our recording and cutting into our business and cutting into my personal life and so many things. And I know there are times where people would text me like, how's your mom? And I'm like, I'm tired of talking about my mom. I don't even right. want to tell you, you know? And, but there are times where I'm like, I do need to talk. I do need to vent. I do need to talk to somebody. And it's like, you're that person. <laughs> and you could have been like, I'm tired of hearing about Danny and her fucking mom and her drama with the mother and her mom's sick and she's in the hospital again and da, da, da. And yet you never, you never did that. And you never made me feel bad for it. And you were supportive of it and you were empathetic and it's, it was a lot. It's a lot, you know, for anybody going through, whether they're a caretaker or just going through something hard it's a lot to carry on your own. And so to have friends that can kind of just be a buffer and help you unload some of it, it is such a gift too. So this was a gift to me to be able to like take out some of the rocks out of the backpack and like take off some of the weight sometimes because it felt so heavy. And um, I just am so grateful for you. And um, yeah, I think it's, and if anyone's listening to this and it's just like, I don't really feel like I have anyone like that in my life, I would tell you, and this has been really hard, I think for Danny and I both, we've had to be super vulnerable. I think that's how you, I think that's how you develop a really strong, deep friendship is by pulling back the curtain when you don't want to, you know, sharing with someone when you feel like you're a burden to me, that's like, you know, in a way that's, I don't want to call it a test, but like, 
you know, like that will tell you everything you need to know about that person if they can handle shit. So like, if you never give them the opportunity to hold it down for you, then you can't expect them to when you need them, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I don't know, I feel like our, our friendship, the last, you know, six years or so has really been about, I don't know, it's been, uh, you know, like a dress rehearsal for something like this in a way, you know, like if you think about it, it's like, there are all those moments where I was just like, fuck, I just, I need to offload this on you. I'd be like, can you handle it? And you always did. And I hope that I did too. And so I think if you, I think don't wait for people in your life mm. to show up for you. I think you need to give them opportunities to show up for you and, and not in like a malicious way. Ooh, I'm going to like test this part, but like, literally, like if you wanted someone to show up for you, then you got to give them the thing to show up to. And so that is hard because that's extremely, it requires a ton of vulnerability and a ton of courage and a ton of willingness to potentially look stupid or be embarrassed or be ashamed. Um, but it's honest. And I think that's, I don't know. Like, I think that's all, I think that's really what real friendship is. It's just, it's 100% honesty all the time. And it's not always comfortable, but it's going to feel risky at first, but I don't think wait for people to just know how to show up. You just show them by giving them things to try to hold down for you. And that's fucking, and I've done that with a handful of people in my life. And I'm lucky that they, that they, uh, you know, rose to the challenge. I love it. I think that's a great place to, (laughs) to wrap this up. I feel like uh, death is a part of life. Like we're, nobody's getting out of here alive. And so it's interesting that we know this and we know that everyone around us is going to die, but we just don't know when we don't know how. And, um, and it's never easy and we're never ready, which is so interesting, (laughs) even though like we, even though we know it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a mind fuck. This is all a mind fuck, but it's also, it's, you know, something I texted you today and I think we'll see the lessons as time goes on mm-hmm. and we always find a meaning in things, but something that's already, that's already been cool. That's come out of this is I feel like I'm already closer to my brother, my brother. And I haven't really talked in a long time, not because we don't get along. It's just, we've kind of drifted apart and he's, we just have very different lives and family. And he actually came out with Jill and I, and Jeff, we went to the rate, we went to this rage room where you hit stuff after my mom's service that day. And he was there with us and um, he came to dinner. And then yesterday he went to dinner at my dad's and he texted me afterwards and was kind of vulnerable sharing how he felt. And I feel really grateful. It sucks that this is the thing that's bringing us closer, but I feel grateful that something is. And so I know that there's always lessons and there's always things, you know, good things that can come out of it, uh, come out of something horrible. I don't always think it's the best to like say that to someone in the moment. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's, there's beauty and there's going to be lessons and it's all, we all have to end somehow. So how and when we don't really get to decide, but we do get to decide what we do now and, and have those conversations and clean things up while we can, instead of living with regrets. So mm-hmm. you can leave with anything. It's like, be the friend, be vulnerable, be open. Don't wait. And uh, hope you guys can take some of that. <laughs> and you'll always miss her. That will never go away. You know, I've, I ask Keith every once in a while, like how he's doing. He's just like, I miss her. And I don't think that it will ever go away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I keep wanting to end this, but I keep thinking of one more thing. Like it, I keep trying to compare this to when I split with, with Nate. Cause when I, when I split with him, before the divorce, but just because when I just found out about the affair, I cried every day, almost like 24 hours. (laughs) I don't cry as much, but there's a different heaviness and there's a different feeling that I felt. And like today I, my aunt texted me and said, she saw the video, like uh, Jeff helped me make a slideshow with music. And I watched that again and started bawling and Mm -hmm. then I cleaned up, took a shower and then I put makeup on. And then I don't even remember what it was that triggered me to start crying again. And mascara all over my face. And I'm like, good Lord, I can't even have a day. But then 
you know, there was a day where I got through the entire day without crying. And then right before I went to bed, I just cried a little, you know? And so I know that it grief comes and goes in waves. And like, I'm sure there'll be time a year from now that I'll cry, but there'll be weeks where I don't, or, you know, maybe it doesn't cross my mind, but I think it's okay to know that. And I am aware enough to, to know that, you know, time will help. I know that I'm not going to feel like this forever. And I'm trying to be gentle with myself and trying not to make myself do too much because it feels overwhelming or tiring. But if you are going through something, if you're going through some grief and even the world right now is fucking heavy. I mean, let's not even get into mm-hmm. that, but just to like, know that things pass and uh, you'll get through it. This too yeah. shall pass. Well, it- if um, we could link the episode with Christina Rasmussen in the show notes for you guys, uh, it was a great episode all about grief. So mm. if you had experienced any kind of loss, um, we recorded a few years ago. I think it's been like, I don't know, maybe three or so years, two or three years ago now. Um, yeah. And she's a ma- an amazing resource. There's a couple of books actually about it. Um, so definitely would re-listen to that. And then, you know, y'all, if you have had this experience, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who have would love to, I don't know, just hold it down for you. Like in our Facebook group, go to the best life podcast.com, uh, would love to share, just hear your stories. Like, I don't know if you lost someone close to you, like, tell us about them. Like, tell us who you lost, tell them why they're amazing. You know, like tell them like a memory that you have, like anything you guys want to share. It's a safe space to kind of share that. And, you know, we shared a lot here about Shelly and Um, I think it's important to just even just have a witness, right. Just like have a witness to, you know, the person and the loss. And, and sometimes it just feels really good to share, especially if you lost someone a long time ago and you still think about it, but you just feel like, well, I can't really bring this up. It's been a club. It's been years, right. It's like, you can bring it up. Like you're always allowed to do that. Um, and so go to that link. And then we would obviously love to hear from you guys. If you want to DM us at the best life podcast on Insta and all that good stuff. But thank you for listening. Appreciate you guys. And Danny, you're amazing. Love you guys. Love you, Jill. And um, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.